three things I want us to see in this passage. It's not super long in Acts chapter 5. And it has to do with the power and presence of God's kingdom. I, as I said, had the privilege of seeing that in Europe. I traveled to Germany, Hungary, and Croatia, and I, I saw this. I've traveled to Nepal and India and Mexico and Liberia, and I've seen this. I've been in Ukraine, and I've seen this, not since the war started back in 2007. And I just come away from these trips just appreciating the fact that the power and presence of God's kingdom is all over the place, and it is undeniable. The stories that I heard from the, the places that I've been, it is undeniable that the power and presence of God's kingdom is there. And so I came back thinking this because this was the word, really, already, crickets? I mean, come on. I just started. Wait till like 30 minutes in and then start doing that or something. The word that I came away with, it's not a super spiritual word from my trip. And this is just a collection of a number of trips that I've been on. The word I came away with and the word I came away with after reading this passage in the book of Acts is a very, I don't think it's Jewish, I don't think it's... uh, Hebrew or Greek, flabbergasted. Have you heard of that word before? Maybe you've used it. You've been flabbergasted about something. Maybe, you, maybe you're like, I think I know what it means, but I'm not sure what it means. This is the word I was thinking about after my, my trip to Europe, after reading this passage, because one of the things that was different this time on one of my trips than other times is I went to three nations that are predominantly Christian. Like 98% of people in Croatia are part of the Catholic Church. Most believers in Hungary, most Christians in Hungary are part of the Lutheran Church or the Catholic Church, and in Germany, Germany, part of the Lutheran Church. But I'm in these places talking with people that are trying to plant churches. Because what is happening all over Europe and why I think it's powerful coming back here because I can see it happening here in the United States is that Christianity to many people is a check mark. When you take a survey, they say, what religion are you? You say Christian and you check that box. Christianity to many of them is a place, geographical locations. Ours happens to be 151 Earl Storyer Drive, Schuylkill Haven, PA. It's a day, Sunday, and it's a time. This morning, it's 1045. On the last Sunday of May, it's going to be at 10 o'clock. Thank you. And they associate Christianity with a time, a place, and something they do in that place. And so these people are trying to retell the Jesus story. Because Christianity is more than that. And if you think that Christianity is just a place I go on a particular day of week at a certain time, then you've missed all of what Christianity is. And many in those countries are missing it and they are left wanting something, broken, lost. 
And these churches are being planted are trying to meet these needs. And I listened to stories of this happening all over the place. And it was, I was flabbergasted by it. The same thing is happening in Acts chapter 5. Here's the definition. Feeling or showing intense shock, surprise, or wonder. You are utterly astonished. So when was the last time you were flabbergasted about something? Like utterly astonished. Not from watching the news in a negative way. Like you're flabbergasted about how dumb that person is on the 10 o'clock news and I can't believe they've... You're astonished that they would do something as dumb as that. When was the last time God flabbergasted you? That God did something that you were just shocked, utterly astonished. So that's what's happening in Acts chapter 5. And that's, I'm going to ask that question in a different way at the end of the message. But it's a question that I want us to think about. You as a follower of Jesus, us as a church, being flabbergasted by God. That's happening in Peter and the disciples' day right now. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16, there's another summary of the kind of stuff that's going on. Now, you heard last week some crazy stuff happening with Ananias and Sapphira and them keeling over, dead, because of how they were bringing their funds to the church and their, their heart and disobedience and things like that, and they just kind of keeled over. And so what I'm about to read here is remembering that. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. This was at the temple. This one area at the temple, they would all gather together and they would meet together. And you've already heard some signs and wonders taking place from Acts chapter 1 until now, Acts chapter 5. Now no one else dared to join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. So if you just flip over in my Bible anyway, one page, the beginning of Acts chapter 5. No one dared to join them because some crazy stuff was happening, but they were highly esteemed by all the people. People that were watching them, witnessing what was going on, knew something different was taking place. There was something different about those people. And before I left for Europe, I preached a message that identified that something different. It wasn't where they were from. It wasn't that they were schooled. That something different, according to the people that were watching them, was that we know those people have been with Jesus. That's what that something different was. But things were taking place that people who were not Christian held them in high regard. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. God was constantly bringing people to them, to Christ. And they were joining this movement that's very new. Like we've been living this church thing out for pretty long now. Acts chapter 5, it's brand new. And so the presence and power of God is there. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. 
Crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. It was undeniable that the power and presence of the kingdom was still here. Jesus was gone. Jesus left. But apparently, the kingdom that he inaugurated, what Jesus came to do, didn't leave with him. It stayed here. That's what this story is telling us. This summary, this little bit that we get, is telling us that when Jesus left and all that was still walking around earth were people who said, yeah, I follow Jesus. Apparently, Jesus' power didn't leave with him. And the presence of the kingdom didn't go to heaven. Your will be done here on earth as it's done in heaven. That's the kingdom that's happening. And so what we're actually witnessing here, what we're reading about, what everybody else saw was that this Jesus who is gone now, who left, he's ascended, the power and presence of the kingdom he started didn't go with him. It actually stayed here. So much so that even Peter's shadow as he walked by was bringing healing to those who saw it, to those who were in it. And what the story is conveying to us is that the power and presence of the kingdom Jesus set up is still here. And people were left flabbergasted. They were utterly astonished at what was taking place. And that story that, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you in Acts chapter 5. The rest of this story is really highlighting the point that was just made in verse 12 through 16. It's another story that is just telling you, yeah, I know Jesus is gone, but the power and presence of his kingdom remains. So Peter and the disciples continue to preach. They continue to tell the Jesus story. They continue to live it out. They've already been told to keep their mouths shut about it, and they're not listening. They're doing it anyway. So verse 17, I don't have it up here for you. If you're following along in your Bible, you can see that. What I just said, all the crazy stuff that's happening in verse 12 through 16, you know what that did to the religious leaders? Verse 17 says, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. These were the important people in Jerusalem. These were the the power brokers. These were the people that spoke on behalf of God. These were the people that were zealous about God and his ways. And so I read that and I think to myself, why are you so, this jealousy is actually stirring up anger in them because eventually they, they do want to kill them. You're, you're angry over the fact that somebody got healed? I, I don't get it. Like someone is brought into Jerusalem, they're crippled their whole life, and they get healed by these people that follow Jesus and you're angry about that? Somebody that was tormented by a demonic spirit and chained enslaved to that demonic spirit are freed. They are freed. And somehow that creates such jealousy and animosity in you. You want to kill these people? It just doesn't make sense to me. And these are the people that say they are speaking on behalf of God. And so the religious leaders are angry about this and they haul them back in, Peter and the disciples. 
they haul him back in to uh, be questioned, and they throw him in jail. And it must have been late or something, and they throw him in jail and say, we'll deal with you in the morning. So if you read this story, what it's going to tell you is that an angel of the Lord appears and somehow frees them out of jail. Now, it seems like it was Peter, but there seems like there were some more with Peter who were freed. And so somehow they get out of jail, and the next morning they reconvene their little uh, judicial court to, to try these guys, and they say to the guards, go get Peter and, and his guys and, and bring him up here. So they go to do that, and they're not there. The guards were still there. The people they put there to guard the prisoners were still there. The cell was still locked. Nothing had been tampered with in the cell, but they were not in it. And the angel of the Lord told them, as he freed them in some miraculous way, not to go run and hide. Hey, go find some shelter. Go into hiding, and I'm going to save you. He says, go back into the temple courts and start preaching again. And so that's what they did. So they're all looking for these guys in jail. They're not there. And someone must have come and said, wait a minute, they're back in the temple court doing exactly what they were arrested for doing the other day. And they're flabbergasted. That doesn't say that, I don't think, in my translation. But that's what's going on. They are flabbergasted, utterly astonished, one, that they somehow got out of jail, and two, that they're doing the exact same thing that they were told not to do and thrown into jail for. So they want to stone them. They want to kill them. But they don't because the people are obviously loving this. The power and presence of the kingdom is still here, and apparently it is being brought to bear. It's being made plainly seen through these people we call the church. So they don't stone them right then and there, but they bring them back in and they start to question them again. And they basically said, didn't we tell you to keep your mouth shut about this? And here you are doing the exact same thing and you're filling all of Jerusalem with this nonsense about Jesus. And so this is the line that Peter says in verse 29, if you're following along in the scripture, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And he goes on to tell them that this God of our ancestors, the God that you say you worship, you know, the God of Abraham, that, you know, he's a pretty big deal to all of you. That God has manifested himself through the person of Jesus Christ. He has shown himself plainly to the world, all over the world, in Jerusalem, in the person of Christ, the one that you crucified. And what they're doing is preaching this story and the fact that through him you can have new life. That's what they say in this passage, that they can have new life. And it is happening through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is undeniable. People are left flabbergasted left and right that God's power and presence is still here. It's still working. Look at what those guys are doing. Somehow they got out of jail and, and they all thought they were still there. Nobody knew it. And Peter tells them, we cannot stop talking about 
this story that has changed our lives and is not just some story, it is now our story. It so encompassed and enveloped their life that they now are living out the Jesus story. And what you may discover is that you might be put at odds with the governing authorities around you. Because it's not just about talking about it, it's about living it out. That people are seeing in us Jesus. When Peter is walking by and his shadow is falling over somebody, someone might say, is Jesus still here? We remember when Jesus was here, he was doing that kind of stuff. No, that's just Peter. And the one distinguishing factor about Peter is he had been with Jesus. This Jesus story that is being shared and proclaimed is more than a check mark. What's your religion? Christian, check. It's more than this time and space. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church on a Sunday morning at X time at X place. There's lots of people all over the world that do that and say that. 98% of them in Croatia. There's only about 2,000 evangelicals that live in that country. And they are planning the third church that they've planted because people are seeing it is not enough. This thing that is Christianity has to be more. And they are coming up against some pressure. Not everybody likes it. It's not easy to become a Christian in Croatia. You get kicked out of the Catholic Church and the way that they think, you're no longer a Croat. It's like you've given up your nationality because it's so intertwined. It's not that easy just to say, oh yeah, I'll be a follower of Jesus. This isn't a Christian country. The Jesus story is more than a time and a space and a location that I go to, that I drive to, on a particular day of the week. And our living this story out may put us at odds with the governing authority. But what we learn is that the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. So Peter tells the religious leaders, I mean, these are the guys that are able to give a life sentence just like that, execution just like that. They wanted to stone him. And Peter basically says, we're not going to obey you. We're, we're going to keep following God. You chumps can think whatever you want. That's not going to change what we're doing. Again, that's my translation. That's Ted saying that's what Peter thinks in his head. These chumps just don't get it. And so, as a result of that response, these leaders are left with a decision. Are we going to do what we said we were going to do? Imprison them? Maybe execute them? So somebody stands up in the group, and he puts the Peter and the guys out. You guys go wait over there, and I need to have a conversation with these religious leaders. His name in uh, verse 35 is Gamalael. That's his name. He seems to be a mentor of Paul, Saul. You know, that guy in Acts 9 that we're going to meet that starts going all over the world living out this Jesus story. So this gentleman stands up and says, remember when, 
there was a guy named, uh, what was his name? Theod- Theodos. And Theodos also wanted to start some kind of rebellion. And he got all these people, like 400 people, to start following him. He was killed, and they all dispersed. They all scattered. And do you remember that time, Judas from Galilee? Remember when he came? And he get all everybody riled up, and they all started following him. And, and he got killed, and they all dispersed. And so this religious leader says to the group, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, with what's going on with Peter and these guys, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And that's exactly what was happening. And that's what Paul's story was. He found himself following against God or fighting against God. When we read Acts 9 and Paul's knocked off his horse because Jesus shows up and, and Paul thinks he's the most zealous dude for God there is. And Jesus knocks him off his horse and says, hey, genius. Again, that's my translation. That's not what, when Jesus talks to me, it's very sarcastic in my head. Like, genius, Ted, what are you, an idiot? That's how Jesus talks to me. You are actually fighting against the very thing I am trying to do. Peter himself did it. Remember that statement that Jesus gives him when, when Peter's all ready to go and fight for Jesus and battle everybody he has to battle? Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you don't know what you're saying. This gentleman is saying that same thing to them because as we know, it's not going to be stopped. This is, this is so brand new right now. We just assume it's going to go on and on and on. If you're reading Acts chapter 5 for the first time, maybe you're wondering to yourself, what's going to happen? Is the church going to die? Is it going to sputter out because it's brand new at this point. Jesus just left not that long ago. But what we're actually discovering is the very people that say they're on God's side are fighting against God. When I went to Hungary, the week prior to me going there, the Pope was there. And he was kind of preparing the way for my visit. He was kind of greasing the wheels and saying, hey, everybody, creating a minor stir. Uh, no, there wasn't really a crowd when I was there. I saw where he was, and he did mass there and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the one time that the Pope was there, I don't know if it was this past time. I think it was before maybe Pope John Paul II had gone to Hungary, and he apologized because the Catholic Church in Hungary had killed lots of Protestants. And if you read church history, that happens because, believe it or not, the very people sometimes that say they're on God's side are actually fighting against the very thing that God is doing. And it's happening now in those very same countries, trying to get the message of Jesus out, and the church is fighting against that happening. And if we're not careful sometimes, we can get into that mode as well. That God is doing something new that is outside of our box and it's kind of 
blowing our mind. It's kind of flabbergasting. And we start pushing up against that. And what we don't realize sometimes is we're actually fighting against the very thing God is trying to do to get this Jesus story out there. We're not that different from post-Christian Europe. We are in post-Christendom America. There are lots of people that have no clue what the gospel is. If I use that word out there, we used to have a saying, I don't know if people still use it, the gospel truth. And whether you were in church or out of church, you knew what that meant. Like you can count on whatever this person just said because it's the gospel truth. They related it together with Christianity. Nobody knows what that word is now if you're in your 20s or below. You would be surprised the amount of people we've talked to that don't know these stories that you and I know. They don't have the same ideas about God that you and I have. But God is still trying to reach those people and I want to make sure that me, Ted, doesn't fight against the very thing God wants to do. And so we have to make sure that our concept of the way Christianity is supposed to be lived out is the actual way it's supposed to be lived out. And the the hope is that as we live that out in our community, rubbing shoulders with lots of people that need to know Jesus, that they get us confused with who this Jesus is. Because the power and presence of Jesus' kingdom is still here. We are witnessing it here, and the church hasn't left. You're not going to be able to stop this thing that's happening through this dude you don't like very much named Peter and the, the other gang of people with him. What, what God is asking from us is faithfulness to this message and to living it out. And that faithfulness, God will produce success. Every day it said in that little summary I read for you, God was adding men and women who were being saved. God was adding people to his church because of the faithfulness of this brand new thing that he was starting, that we call the church. Now, it's not brand new anymore, but he's still calling us to that same thing, and it might push us up against governing authorities. It might put us at odds with coworkers and family members and friends and, and neighbors. It might even shock us what God wants to do in the 21st century in reaching people. Like, it's weird to go to a cafe and hear about Jesus in Hungary, but that's where they're planning a church. It's, it's in a cafe, and they're doing church in a cafe. You don't do that in that country. You go to that building that's called a church because it's been there for like a thousand years. This has been here since this one, 1971. Some of you think that's a long time ago. Those of you who are older don't think it was that long ago. Those of you who are younger think it was a long time ago. Well, there's a stone out here that says 1895. That feels like a long time ago. Well, in Hungary, there's stones there from like the 10th century. When you go to church, you go to that place. You don't walk into a cafe, and yet that's exactly where God is showing up in people's lives. And you know what's being conveyed in that little cafe where people are asking questions about this Jesus that they supposedly heard about in school in that cathedral? They're wondering why you're so different. 
Why you Christian? They call themselves evangelical. That's a dirty word over in Europe. If you're an evangelical, you're, you're uh, categorized in all the groups that are sex, like cultish type groups. Don't be a part of that group. Don't go to that cafe. And yet what they actually witness and experience is the power and presence of the kingdom. And it just started, and there was like 30 people there when I went to that cafe to to watch this, to see this. It was just a group of people singing some songs. If you were following along on Facebook, they sang Oceans in Hungarian, and I videoed that. And then they're asking questions, and they're opening up God's Word, and they're, they're talking about it. So this is the question I want to leave you with this morning. What would need to happen? So we know it did happen here. We read about it. Just a shadow. Like, you'd have to get pretty close to me if my shadow is going to heal anybody. I'm pretty short. I realized how short I was when I went to Eastern Europe where everybody is tall. Like, I met this family. She's 18. She's taller than me. She's... Uh, 16, she's taller than me. She's 10, and she's taller than me. Like everybody. So my shadow's not, you got to get pretty close if my shadow's going to heal you. It's probably not. I'm, I'm probably not going to do any of that kind of stuff. We, we can see it. it. Yeah, I know Jesus is gone, but he's not really. Look at what's happening. These people are freed from jail. We have no clue how it happened. We can see so clearly that the power and presence of Jesus' kingdom is right there in their midst. So what would need to happen today for you to be convinced that the power and presence of his kingdom is still here now? What does God need to do to flabbergast you, for you to be flabbergasted? Lots of flabbergastedness happening. Like, I don't know how many different endings I can put on there. What does God need to do? So, since I've started Acts, I've been challenged by and really praying about this very thing. Because I believe this is true. I I believe in my heart of hearts that this is true. But now I've just started asking myself, what What's going to convince me of that? What does God need to do to demonstrate for all of us that the power and presence of his kingdom is still here? Right now. Ask that in your life. Okay? What does God need to do in your life, in your family, at this church, in our community, in this county? What does God need to do to demonstrate that the power and presence of his kingdom is still here. I believe he wants to do it. For me, when the power and presence of the kingdom is here and I'm flabbergasted about what God is doing, I can picture the person right now in my mind who is so far from Jesus, it would take this for me to be convinced at times. Maybe you know that person too. God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Men and women were giving their lives to Jesus. You know how desperately I want to see that? 
Sometimes I witness it all over the world because I get to travel there. But I want that so bad in my own town, in my own church. What, what are you looking for? Maybe it's your own life. What would need to happen in your life? What would need to happen in your life to show that the power and presence of God is still here? You know what this passage tells me? God loves doing it. I think God gets no better satisfaction than making people flabbergasted. Where the only conclusion you have is God showed up in a big way. He is not gone. He is still here in a very real and powerful way. I'd like you to ask yourself that question. What needs to happen in your life? What needs to happen in your family? What would it look like in this church, in our town, in this county, if God demonstrated again his power and presence is still here? Start thinking and dreaming about that. Whatever you come up with, whatever this is, fill in the blank. Say, God, I want to see your power and presence demonstrated in this way, in this person giving their life to Christ, in this change happening in my family, in this taking place in our church, in this happening in our community. Start praying about it and asking God about it. I believe the scriptures reveal that God loves to do it. God loves showing up in this way because he gets the glory for it because all you can conclude is that God moved. From that story, no dude's shadows healing people. The only thing I can come up with is that Peter really loved Jesus and he so desperately wanted other people to love Jesus too. What does God need to do in your life? Start praying about it. Let's do that now. God, thank you for this story. God, thank you that even after Jesus left, his power and presence didn't go with him. In fact, it showed up in some pretty big ways all over Jerusalem and now with thousands of years of church history all over planet Earth. And God, I'm praying that that power and presence shows up right here in this place, too. In families' lives here, maybe somebody's life that just doesn't know what it's like to experience your power and presence. God, show up today in their life. God, help us to see, demonstrate for us that your power and presence isn't gone in our families, in this community, in this county, in this church, Lord God, that all we are left to conclude is that God moved. God is still here. Jesus is still working. The power of the Spirit is still moving. God, may we see that. May we see you show up. May you demonstrate your power and presence again. I know, God, you love doing it. Do it in our lives. Do it in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.